My subject this morning is simply a stone's throw away. This story that opens the Gospel of John chapter 8 is one of the most well-known. People, whether they're Christian or not, definitely know how to quote it to fend off criticism. They like to quote it while not understanding the true meanings that are deep within. And usually they like to quote it to justify what they're doing anyway. But the comment at the end of the story is often just missed. So the story is in verses 2 to 11, which we're going to get to in a moment. But the story ends in verse 12 when Jesus says, Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. This story ends with Jesus making it clear to everybody who will listen that Jesus is the light of the world. To follow him is to walk in the light. To not follow him is to walk in darkness. Whether you follow him or not is up to you. But there's no not following him and walking in the light. So this is the context. This is the concluding comment of this story that is so well known. John chapter 8, let's pick it up in verse number 2. Now early in the morning he came again to the temple and all the people came to him. And he sat down and taught them. Then the scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded that such should be stoned. But what say you? This they said, testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, he, he who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And he again stooped down and wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it being convicted by their conscience went one by one, beginning from the oldest even to the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Powerful story. Have you ever done anything in your life that was embarrassing? Don't need to answer. I know the answer to the question. We all have. The woman in this context, in this story, I think we can all agree, is having a bad day. This is not a good day. She didn't wake up and say, I'm going to get involved in this thing I shouldn't be involved in, and oh good, I'm then going to get caught and drag in front of a crowd of people. Yay. She didn't say that. This is not just an embarrassing moment. This is an embarrassing moment that was paraded in front of an entire group of people. 
She goes from this private moment of probably what was passion to being this public spectacle in a matter of minutes. Imagine being in her shoes. She probably never stopped to think that any of this could happen. And no one who gets involved in sin usually stops to think what's going to happen. The truth is, our past can't ever completely ever be hidden. Somehow, the Bible is clear in Numbers chapter 32, verse 23, be sure your sin will find you out. I didn't write it. If you have an issue with what's in the Bible, talk to the author. She was caught in the act of adultery. We don't learn from this story which one of them, if not both of them, were married. She was dragged from the, this very private scene to this very public place. She becomes the center of humiliation for all to see. She is separated from anyone who could offer her love and definitely anyone who could offer her protection. She is judged and sentenced to death without the full demands of the law being meant because the law does not say that if you find someone caught in the act of adultery that she should be stoned. The Bible is clear in Deuteronomy 22. If you find one caught in adultery, they both should be stoned. And if you're caught in the act, there's an actor missing from this scene. They both should have been there. This had to be one of the most bizarre scenes anyone could have imagined. And it unfolds in front of the king of kings. This story should highlight a number of themes, but a very central one. And it's not the one the world uses for its own gain. Basically, this is a story of what happens when a sinner is placed at the feet of Jesus. That is where every sinner needs to come, to the feet of Jesus. That is where each of us found ourselves at some point in our lives, and if we're honest, at multiple points in our lives. A hopeless, unworthy, condemned sinner is placed at the feet of Jesus. In church, there is no better place to be. The path to this incredible promise of eternal life one day with him in glory and abundant life here in this existence begins by being placed at the feet of Jesus. A place where we can humble ourselves, which of course we see humility and people being humble every day in our culture this now. To be reminded that in ourselves we fall short. A place where we can be completely honest, even to the point of being transparent. A place where the hopeless can find hope. No better place to be. This is not only the place where every sinner needs to come to begin their life in Jesus, but let's be transparent today. Every Christian would be, uh, do well to spend some time at the feet of Jesus, to be reminded that each and every one of us is a work in progress. Is anybody here perfect today? Please do not raise your hand. To be reminded that we all fall 
short. And all means all. To be reminded that we are no better because all of us fall short. We are no better than anybody else, Christian or non-Christian. I need to make the feet of Jesus a regular part of my walk with the Lord to understand that it is there that I receive forgiveness. It is there that I receive grace. And it is there that his power can help me grow to be better and better each day. In this story, John identifies two voices that were speaking into this woman's life. And there are voices that speak into our lives every day. It's just a matter of which voice we're going to listen to. The voice of critics or the voice of Christ. So let's take a look at the voice of critics. Everyone has critics. If you don't have anybody criticizing you, you need to come up here and preach because thank God for the life you're leading. Critics have a very single focus in their desires. Their aim is to manipulate your weaknesses. Their desire is to focus primarily on your failures. Even if there are success stories that could be highlighted, their job, their goal, their focus is to focus, is is to draw attention to your failures. They are there to bring you down. We all have critics. What can really get to us sometimes is that these critics can come from very close places. They can come from family. They can come from neighbors. They can come from friends you have given so much to for many, many years. Why are they this way? It could be many reasons. But perhaps one of the reasons that they are this way is that the spirit of God that's living in you is giving trouble to the demons that live inside of them. Jesus is sitting in this crowd teaching. And the religious leaders bring this woman to him. She was caught in the act of adultery. Moses in the law said, the one who was caught in the act should be stoned. But what do you say, Jesus? Now, wait a minute. These leaders did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah. They did not believe that he was sent from the Father. They did not believe he was the long-promised Christ in the Old Testament prophecies. If this is what the law said, and the law was something they had pledged their life to, then what did it matter what Jesus said? This was not about demonstrating allegiance to the law. This, as the scriptures tell us, was a setup. It was a test. This was not about demonstrating allegiance to the law of Moses. If it was, this scene would never have happened. This was a trap. It amazes me when someone comes to me in a different setting or at work and they'll ask me a question that they already know the answer to. They ask me a question about a situation, but what do you believe? And I'm often thinking, do you really want to know what I believe? (laughs) Or are you asking me in this moment, at this time, in this setting? You know, it's one thing if I'm sitting at my desk at work and the person at the desk right next to me, since we're a collection of cubicles, were to lean over and ask me a question. 
But no, the tough questions seem to come when we're in the coffee room or we're in the cafeteria and then in a room full of people. What do you think about this? You mean this just popped into your head now? When we were back at our cubicles, this didn't come across your mind? This was a trap. Maybe you've noticed that, hypocr- that, that critics make the worst judges. These teachers of the law were proud, were arrogant, and they were complete hypocrites. If they truly believed Deuteronomy 22, verse 22, this conversation would have never happened. It would have never unfolded. Their zeal to judge is a mask, and what they're hiding is an evil heart. They are masking a feeling that they are better than other people and need to maintain that distance. Critics never have anything good to say. You know people like that? Someone may have had an issue with alcohol and they stopped drinking. and They got power over it, thank God. And they've been sober for 10 years. And a critic will come along and say, well, let's see how much longer it goes. Man. You get control of your tongue because you've had an issue with it. And anger just seems to come out and you say the wrong things. Well, I'm still waiting to see how long this lasts. You and I get excited about Jesus and they'll find something to criticize. Critics seldom have something good to say. These religious leaders were not just trying to protect the purity of the law. They wanted to criticize Jesus and this woman was just a pawn in their overall desire to show supremacy. It was a dumb game. They didn't just happen to find this woman. This was a setup. They were using her for their own purposes. They wanted to find conflict between Jesus' message of love and forgiveness and the Old Testament laws, which if they really had read them, would have found forgiveness in them as well. But we'll go over that in a minute. Jesus was a threat to their power structure. He was in opposition to their ways of creating this caste system. Now we think, well, in our day and age and in the church, we don't have these things. We don't have caste systems. Oh, yeah? I've been in churches that if a newcomer comes in and they sit in the wrong seat, we better pray the Holy Ghost arrives quick. Because they're sitting in someone's seat. I don't know if you noticed when you walked in today, there isn't a single name on any seat anywhere. And as long as I'm the pastor, there will never be a name on the seats that you sit in. But pastor, if I don't sit in my seat, I don't know if I can concentrate. Then you need to change seats now. So that God can heal you of this infirmity called, I need my seat. (laughs) Critics find something to criticize. He was a threat to their power structure. 
Jesus wasn't interested in teaching about a people just for personal gain. He was, con- he was interested in their well-being. No matter where they were, no matter what they've done, they were invited in Jesus' presence. That was his message, and it needs to be our message too. You know, you can't make your light shine brighter by blowing out somebody else's candle. Tearing someone else down doesn't build you up. I have an issue with Christians that talk bad about other Christians. I have an issue with Christians that talk bad about some preachers. I have an issue with preachers who talk bad about some preachers. Criticism doesn't add power or voltage to your spiritual battery. It drains it. And we all face different situations where different voices compete for our attention. We all do. We all have those times when we fail to distinguish between the voices of the crowd and the voices of the Lord. Like these leaders, we've been guilty of pointing out the failures of others while ignoring our own. Now, I want to be balanced here. If there's a false teaching, I'm going to call it out. If there's a principle that's, that seems to be permeating and ravaging the church, I'm going to say something about it. But I'm not going to comment on the preacher or the people who might be embracing it. Because I've got a lot of brothers and sisters who believe a lot of crazy things. And I'm sure they look at me and think, I've got a brother who believes a lot of crazy things. We're still, don't you have family members, biological family members that are nuts? I mean, just nuts. Does that stop them from being your family? No, they're your crazy family. It's not that different in the body of Christ. We all face these situations. where we point out failures much more quickly in other people than we point them out in ourselves. So much anger and hate today. So much judgment. Everyone is looking for someone to blame for everything. We judge people by the color of their skin, by the clothes they wear, what type of car they drive. We judge people by their education or their lack of it. And even in the church, how often do you attend? Do you tithe? What movies do you watch? Do you have regular quiet times? Are you spirit-filled? How do you vote? We've let this spirit of judgment come to be a regular part of how we work in the church. And don't misunderstand me. We will never ignore sin. We will never ignore bad teaching. We need to always stand for what is right. But when dealing with people directly... We need to let them see how much love and compassion Jesus has shown on me by giving some of it to them. This woman was guilty. That is not in dispute. The hypocrisy of the leaders surrounding her did not change her guilt. The hypocrisy of these leaders did not cancel or overshadow her guilt. 
Her guilt was real, and the consequences of sin are severe. But since the beginning, we serve a God who forgives. Moses killed a man, and God forgave him and used him mightily. Abraham lied about his wife using a technicality that, well, she's my sister, so he wouldn't get in trouble with a traveling king, and yet found forgiveness and remained the father of a mighty nation. And we all know the stories of King David abusing his power and getting a man killed and still found forgiveness. And the forgiveness was so overwhelming in his life that we have that beautiful Psalm 51 that shows just what God can do in someone's life. This is the voice of critics. Any critics in your life? The question becomes for us in this day, if we asked other people that know us, would they name us as their critics? So we have the voice of critics. Then we have the voice of Christ. You know, when I look at stories like this, I just come away with, Jesus, you're just so cool. You really got it going. Jesus did not get mad at the leaders. No anger is expressed. Oh, he could have. Bunch of fools. Jesus did not criticize them. Oh, he could have. And Jesus did not judge them in the same way. He could have. First, he ignores them. He kneels down, the scriptures say, and writes on the ground. So let me give you some advice. That many times, the best response to the voice of critics is the sound of silence. Is to ignore them. He ignores them. They wanted to talk to him about the woman. He wound up talking to them about them. Then he makes the statement that so many people know how to quote for their own benefit. He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. Let me go into some understanding of the original language and the culture then. This phrase, the way it's formed in Greek, in that society, in that culture, what he's actually saying or how it would have been understood by first century people is not just he who is without any sin, he who is without similar sin. He's basically saying, you want her stoned, and you've all done the same thing. And isn't it true that sometimes the things church folk are the most angry about are the things they know oh so well? I'll preach about that some other time. If you want to be so quick to judge her sin, let's also be quick to judge our own. He placed the leaders in the same predicament that the woman was in. They too were now in need of some help. And it says that they all walked away one by one, starting with the oldest. And I like that. I'd like to think as you get older, you get smarter or get wiser. Because I don't like the term old fool and don't want to be one. Now the story ends, as I mentioned, with Jesus stating that we need to walk in the light as he is in the light. 
But before getting to the light and darkness of verse 12, he has something to deal with. He asks her, where are your accusers? Where are they? Have they all gone? And she says, yes. Is no one here to condemn you? No one, Lord. Then he says, neither do I condemn you. How many people do you know are longing to hear that? Longing to hear and truly believe that the God of all creation who knows all of the nonsense they've gotten their, in, their whole lives involved in, all of the poor choices that they've made are longing to hear, then neither do I condemn you. You know, for the past couple of days, I've been on a retreat with a bunch of men. And I've been on a lot of retreats, but this one was unique. And that when most of the retreats I go on, they're for people who are just a regular part of a local church, and they're looking to draw closer to God. This particular retreat this weekend, which I'll return to later this afternoon, is specifically designed for men who want to draw closer to God, but who are in different forms of recovery. They're dealing with lifelong issues of being addicted to alcoholism or drug addiction or some other thing. In many of their stories that they were telling throughout the weekend, they've shattered their lives, but Jesus has stepped in and put their lives back together. All praise be to God. But in telling their stories... One thing stuck out to me. Almost to every single one of them, they commented how they found no peace and no comfort and no joy in the church. And it, it, it just hit me. That what they found was judgment. What they found was well, yeah, Jesus has forgiven you, and we'll go through our assessment process. That many churches will allow them to have groups where they can meet to discuss their issues in recovery, but they'll give them a room somewhere in the back. When it comes to having them be a part of the regular body, then they have to step back a bit. And so at one point last night, we were in the chapel, and I just felt led by the Lord. I said, guys, let me do this. Let me apologize for the church, for the way you've been shunned, and let me make it clear the church needs you. Because most people in most churches have no clue how to deal with the pain that's out there. And the reality is, even if it shouldn't have happened, you guys do. Neither do I condemn you, he said. If our Lord's not going to condemn them, then his people should not condemn them. How many are longing to hear that? And if that's you here today, let me make this clear. You are not condemned. Romans 8, chapter 1 is clear. There is therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but walk according to the spirit. In Christ, there is no condemnation. Do we mess up? All the time. Are we perfect? Never. But we have a Savior who is so big and his love so immense and his grace so overarching that we will never be in a place where he will condemn us. 
Not at all. But he doesn't leave her in that place of, I don't condemn you. He does address why we're here. He says, then neither do I condemn you. Oh, by the way, don't do this again. Go and sin no more. He basically says to her, stop it. Cease this. And for those who might think, oh, I don't have the power to do so, aren't you glad Jesus provides the power to walk in the life that he gives? So many things to take away from this story. But one final thing. Remember the next time, and sadly for all of us, myself included, there'll come a time where the urge or desire to judge someone will spring up. Hopefully this message will come to your mind. But when that urge comes up, think about this. You being in the midst of of a room of accusers, you're just a stone's throw away. Just one stone's throw away. But the great The great news is that the forgiveness and love of Jesus is also a stone's throw away. It's there and ready for everyone. No one is perfect. We all limp in some area. This should make us more grateful. This should make us more compassionate. This should remind us that his love and his mercy and his compassion, and his forgiveness are also just a stone's throw away. Because that's what we, his people, the church, needs to be about. Now, we want to do our best to do things properly. I'm, I'm not of the, I'm not even sure of the words, the more effervescent type when, I mean, I'm never going to be jumping over pews as I preach. My back couldn't take that anyway. <laughs> I'm never going to bring animals in here and do anything with them other than take them dead back to our wonderful cooks so they can do something great with them. But when it comes to extending the love of God, we got to give it to everybody. Even this woman. And what's amazing to me is that the next verse says, after Jesus made it clear to everybody what was going on, he just went back to teaching. You're not going to stop Jesus. Where are you today? You're somewhere in this story. You're either the woman in the midst of the crowd, one of the accusers, or the ones he was teaching as this scene began to unfold. Let's remember, being like the accusers is just a stone's throw away, and receiving his grace is just a stone's throw away. Stand with me, please. I'm going to ask the worship team to come. Aren't you glad for the wonderful worship leaders we have today?